I last taught on Second Peter 10 years ago, I think, in this room. It's where I started when I started through the letters of the New Testament. And as I think I mentioned a couple of times ago, we've gone all the way through all of the New Testament letters of Paul since then. I think the only letters that I haven't gone through in the New Testament have been uh, the Johannine letters, the, the letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, I even taught through Revelation in here in 2012, and we're going to touch on some things uh, from Revelation in this series on Sunday morning, um, but I'm by no means going to go in depth on Sunday morning uh, into Revelation. I'm just going to present some things that I think are important for us to understand. All that to say, we're kind of all the way back around to the beginning again, and I so I have these notes from a decade ago, and I'm, I'm cobbling them together. I'm trying to, you know, I'm looking, where did I put those? Because I've changed computers multiple times since then, and, you know, notes here, notes. So I, I'm putting them all together, and I left part of those uh, notes from last week. Uh, I put them in a different place. So I was right. Um, well, let's, before, before I start making these statements, um, last week, I'm going to read these verses, verses 5 through 7. Um, and you're going to see that there, is, there are a, a group of character qualities, one which builds on another, right? And that's why I said last week that this, was the, this, these would, be, this would be the stairway to spiritual success, all right? So I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to briefly mention something about these. Now, for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So, uh, last week I told you these are th this procedure of building one quality on another uh, is a rhetorical device known as sorites, S-O-R-I-T-E-S. And now I found the notes for this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this quotation. I believe this is from the uh, Richard Bauckham in the Word Biblical Commentary. He says, It is clear that Second Peter follows an established Jewish and Christian rhetorical convention adapted from the Hellenistic moral philosophy in which a sorites encapsulates the writer's ideal of the good life and the eschatological goal, that means the end times goal, the end goal, to which this way of life will lead. Sorites, the literary device known as sorites, also called climax or gradatio. The sorites is a set of statements which proceed step by step through the force of logical reliance upon a succession of indisputable facts to a climactic conclusion, each statement picking up the last key word. Well, that's definitely what we've seen. So what is the climactic conclusion? Well, that's where we find ourselves tonight. Um, in verse 8, if you want to listen to uh, the, uh, un, uh, the, the teaching on all of these different character qualities, then look at last week. All right, so num uh, verse 8. Um, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the New American Standard Bible. ESV translates it, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the conclusion of this. If you want to be successful, if you want to be fruitful, 
then you need to build your faith. You can't just stop at faith. To your faith add virtue, to virtue or moral excellence. To moral excellence add knowledge, to knowledge add self-control. Um, and it, it, so it, add is not even a good term there. Um, I think that's another translation that I originally read. It is supply, right? You are supplying this. Now, it's not alone. You're not doing this by yourself, but you're doing the work, right? So it's kind of like, you know, you, you give someone the supplies and you, you, you give them the basic understanding of what they need to do, but then they do it. So these two gentlemen right here cleaned our carpet a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, Pastor Craig brought his carpet cleaner up here. I went and got some extra carpet cleaner and stuff. I handed this fellow right here a brush and a spray bottle. This fellow right here came right in and grabbed that carpet cleaner up and started doing it. I, I supplied them what they needed, but they had to do the work. And that's why this carpet is clean tonight, right? Once again, Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We don't just sit around on our blessed assurance and do nothing and expect God to just work for us. And I think a lot of people look at work, period, in this way. It, you know, it's like, well, I'm just praying. Okay, but you've got to do something about what you pray. You know, Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. You have to ask, you have to seek, you have to knock. You can't just sit there and just say, well, Lord, drop some money on me. You know, send me a check. I got to do something right? So it's not really any different when it concerns building our faith, building our relationship with the Lord, all right? Uh, you know, I, I notice Adrian over here reading his word before the, the time got started. Don't just let this be the only time that you hear the word, even though you're here on Wednesday, which is phenomenal. You need to get into that word on your own. You need to let the Lord speak to you. So Miss Mary called me, you know, uh, later in the week and was asking me questions about the passage that we read on Sunday, the extended passage uh, from the eschatological discourse, discourse that I read from Matthew chapter 24. This is obviously somebody who is continuing to study and continuing to read and continuing to work through these things. That's the only way you're going to grow. When we're little, like these two little angels back here, you just grow, right? But even then, they need to have something to do, right? You got to feed them. You got to give them something, but they'll just grow. But when you get older, it doesn't work that way. Well, you grow, but you grow the wrong way. All right. Unless you're Adrian, which I don't think that he's ever going to get any fat on his body. I told him I'll trade him some. I'll, I'll give you about 15 pounds, Adrian, and you, you could use it. So. All right. So Peter does not say that those who lack these qualities are unsaved, but that their presence, that is the presence of these qualities, assures that one is not useless or unfruitful. You ever feel like that? Just feel like you're not accomplishing anything? It's just useless, man. Now, you can feel like that on your job. You can feel like that at school. You can feel like that when you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where to go to school. You can feel useless. You can feel ineffective. You can spin your wheels. You know, it's the illustration I gave you guys of my car getting stuck a couple of weeks ago uh, where I drove it all the way around the backside of Lake Pleasant and I was in a Camaro, not a four-wheel drive, and I got all the way down in this little uh, ravine, basically, and I couldn't get out. I had to have somebody pull me out, right? My wheels were just spinning and spinning and spinning. I think that's where a lot of people are uh, in their lives. I think that's where some people are in their Christian faith. They're just spinning, Right? And that's, you know, we need some help. We need some wisdom. We need some direction from the Lord. And, you know, I had to go find a park ranger and he brought his Jeep, locked the wheels, 
brought a cable down there. We hooked it around and he pulled me on out. So when you're spinning like that, cry out to the Lord, hold up your hand, let him pull you, right? But even though he pulled me, guess what? My engine was on, my car was in drive, and I was on the gas. He wasn't just dragging me. So by contrast, I have a four-wheel drive truck sitting out here, right? And the battery went out on it when I was at Lifetime Fitness. Uh, and in fact, Nicholas saw me out there uh, when he was coming into Lifetime Fitness. And I was out there for three hours. My battery was out on this thing. Now, what I would normally do, what I would have normally done myself, and I've done it before right here, my maximum of the battery went out, and I didn't know that I had a warranty that covered the battery. So I got a cart and walked the battery all the way over to the auto parts store there. And I had them put it on their charger to see if it was bad and charge it up. And then I walked it all the way back. And then there was enough charge on it so that I could uh, start the car and drive it to Nissan. Same thing. It was about the same age, least Nissan, and they're putting junky batteries in these, right? But the reason I'm bringing up this illustration is I finally uh, got called my insurance, called Geico, and they sent uh, a tow truck out. In fact, the tow truck driver visited our church the following Sunday, really nice guy. His name was Mario. Uh, never came back afterwards. I think I preached too long, and he has to work on Sundays. <laughs> so... He was leaving just as I was saying, hey, and there's my friend Mario. And he's like, hey, I got to go. You know, I'm out of here. Everybody thinks I'm going to be done at noon. You guys know that I'm not going to be done at noon. So that's why you keep coming, right? <laughs> but people that go to traditional churches think, no, you got to be done by noon. I, we don't ever finish at noon, and we're never going to finish at noon. Now, if I start at 1030, we'll finish at noon, but then you guys won't be there till 11. So, But anyway, he gets out there, right? And okay, so the way Nissans work, I don't know if all of them are this way, but all of the ones that I've leased are this way for the last decade. It's an electronic key. So if it's totally dead, you can't do anything with the car, including put it in gear. You can't shift it in gear, right? Because it, you, you, you have to you know, press on the pedal and you have to press the little start button or whatever to shift. So my man, Mario, in this tow truck, grabs onto the, the, uh, the, the bumper, not the bumper, the, uh, the, the tow apparatus on the back, right, where I would normally put a hitch. And he drags this 4,500-pound truck up onto the back of his tow truck. And those wheels on my truck were not turning. It was going... And bless his heart, but he bent that thing. So if you go and look at where the, the, the toe is, is where the, where the chains normally hook, right? So you got a, you got a, a ball in the middle, and then you normally you have chains, and they, they hook right there. Well, there's one that's bent, because he dragged my whole truck up there because it would, those wheels wouldn't turn. Why am I telling you this story? Because that's the way some people are. They got to be dragged, kick, you know, dragged kicking and screaming, Right? They're, I got their heels dug in. And those of you that are around little people, you know that's exactly the way it is. They can lay on the ground and not move, right? I could just imagine Amos doing that. I don't know. He's always nice to me, but I, I, bet, I bet Amos could lay on the ground and just not move if he decided to. In fact, I know Shiloh could do that too. All right. 
So we don't want to be ineffective and, un, and, and useless. We want to cooperate with the Lord. We want to work through these things. So let's look at these words. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, ah, not just yours, not just saying, oh, no, no, I, I have that quality. I have knowledge. I don't need to read it. I once talked to uh, um, a lady who is the grandmother of one of my teenagers years and years ago when I was a youth minister um, at Freeman Heights Baptist Church, which is where I met uh, Craig and Rachel. Um, and uh, they were in my youth group. But uh, this, this young lady was living with her grandmother and right across the street from the church over there. And uh, for some reason, this lady got uptight with me. I was visiting with her. And she said, young man, I have forgotten more of the Bible than you know. Like, okay, well, there you go. How do you prove that? <laughs> but that would be an indicator of somebody that's not growing in knowledge, right? So I still read the word every single day, right? I still learn stuff from the word every single day. I have a bachelor's degree in Bible and religion. I have a master's degree, a master of divinity degree. I studied the original languages, all this. I didn't quit. I graduated, this is how old I am, I'm old. I graduated from seminary, graduate school in 1992, right? So I've had a master's degree for, you know, coming up on 30 years. But that hasn't made me stop studying, right? I keep, I keep working, you know, well, I'm a good person. But that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to stop working to be a better person, and I'm going to be a better person when I'm more like Jesus, okay? Um, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're told in uh, Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. How do we imitate God? Well, we're not talking about imitating his power, imitating, you know, his, his authority, his omniscience or something like that. We're imitating his character because we're made in his image and that's what's been restored in us when we become Christians, when we allow the spirit of Christ to come in. So the word for ineffective and useless, all right, when he says, let these qualities continue to increase, and if they do, that will mean you will not be, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful. So that word for useless or ineffective in the uh, ESV uh, is the word argos, and it means pertaining to being useless in the sense of accomplishing nothing. So it means you're making no progress. You're accomplishing nothing. Now, I know some of you, um, you feel better if you've accomplished something something on a particular day, right? Yeah, no, I, I accomplished something. I can look back and I can see that I did that, right? You know, I cleaned my house or I built that or, you know, whatever it is. Now, some people don't have that drive and maybe we need to look into that, okay? And then the next word is unfruitful and it's the word akapos. This is actually two Greek words. It's the alpha privative, which is the same in Greek as our English non. What happens when you put non in front of something? All right, it means not. You're negating it, right? So I'm a participant. What happens when I become a non-participant? Exactly. All right? Or it's like the word un. So if I'm fruitful, then I'm productive, right? If I'm unfruitful, I'm not productive. That's exactly what this is. Akarpos means unfruitful. Literally, it means not fruitful. Karpos means fruit in Greek, right? 
So this is pertaining to being useless in the sense of being unproductive. So I've accomplished nothing, and I'm, I'm not growing. I'm not producing anything. If I want to avoid that kind of stuck life, then I need to go back. I need to do more than stop at faith. I need to add knowledge to my faith, which is what you guys are doing tonight. I need to add virtue to my knowledge, which is what happens when you start applying these things that you learn in here. Then I need to add self-control to that, okay? Um, uh, because uh, in the long run, if I am not doing something about that, if I'm not putting some effort into that, then it really doesn't matter. Then I'm going to add perseverance to that. I've got to continue in it. I can't just stop. I can't do it for a period of time and then quit, right? And then I add godliness to that. That's an overall type of life. That's the life of a worshiper, right? Godliness, a reverent life, as opposed to, say, the kind of attitudes that we saw displayed in the debates last night. That's not a godly attitude on really from any of the, the three 75-year-old men who were yelling at each other like toddlers. I mean, seriously. You and I need to be examples, right? Now, you're going to need to plug your nose and vote one way or the other. You're not voting for a personality. You need to vote for policies, Right? It's obvious that we don't, we don't have any healthy personalities in Washington right now. We just don't. So, you know, when we, oh, oh, and he, and he, and he, and I said to your campaigns, two minutes, and, and you, and you. Stop. Just, I just turned it off. Five minutes was enough for me. I'm like, no, I, I know what I'm going to do. Know how, how I'm going to vote. And it doesn't have anything to do with the personality of any of these people because uh, it's like having a claw on the back of your neck right? It's just like, no, I'm just going to, a godly person doesn't act like that. A godly person is reverent and respectful. What would happen? And I bet you'll see it. The next debate is between the vice presidential candidates and Pence is the polar opposite of Trump when it concerns his personality and his Christian witness. He is a Christian gentleman. Watch how he acts. Watch the difference, right? And you, you will see what a godly person looks like. That's what we need to develop, right? To that godliness, add brotherly kindness. That means we need to care for each other. To brotherly kindness, add love, okay? So we need to have those and have those increasing if we're going to avoid accomplishing nothing and avoid being unproductive in our lives. Verse 9. Um, and you know what I have? I have these all in New American Standard in these old notes. So I'm going to shift back over here so that I will read them with you in ESV. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In NASB, it says, for he, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So what that tells us is that what we're doing in improving ourselves is the response to our forgiveness. It's not to earn forgiveness. You're not earning a way into heaven. It's your response, right? I'm becoming more like Jesus that's my response to the Lord. That's my proper worship. Without these traits, we demonstrate that we've forgotten what it means to be saved, if we ever knew to begin with. The truth is, people fall back into their old ways of life all the time. Have you seen that? Have you been that? All right. One of the many reasons for this among 
churches like ours, evangelical churches, that is churches that preach the gospel and believe the gospel, is an incorrect view of salvation. If we see salvation as this static possession, it's just something that I have. I am saved. I have this, like this remote right here. I am saved, right? Requiring no effort on our part, then we, fa we fail to respond to Christ's finished work as God intends. So to be sure, again, we don't work to earn salvation. We work as an act of worship. We work out what God has worked in. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I mean, he talked about to the Philippians. He talked, uh, you know, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, there's a connection there. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Boy, that word work is used a lot there. Oswald Chambers said it like this, you work out what God works in. It's what this scripture is saying here. We already saw a couple of weeks ago, you have everything you need for life and godliness, but now you need to do something with it. It's like having a house full of you know, food and, you know, you won't cook. You just go out to restaurants. That's what I would do, right? So, you, no, you want to take that food. You want to, you you know, get some recipes and, you know, get a, you know, some special oven or something like that. You know, one of these little, what are those pressure cooker ovens called? I have one upstairs. What is it? Oh, I want to get one of those, an air fryer. Oh, but I'm, I'm really high on food right now. Actually, I don't have any food. That's why. Uh, no, the little pressure cooker things, the Instapots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I cooked my chili in an Instapot last year. By the way, we're going to have chili cook-off again this year, and my chili will win. I just want you to know. All right. <laughs> I've worked it out. I've worked it out. I know. I know what to do now. See, two years ago, I just went straight on my mom's recipe, which I love. But apparently, you Texans don't like beans, Right? And I had like two different types of beans in there. And then some people don't like onions. And so I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to do this different. I'm going to do it because my chili two years ago, I mean, got hardly any votes and it was good. I'm sorry. I, I liked it. <laughs> so last year I went with an all meat chili. Okay. And I experimented and did something. I got second place this year. You watch, I'm going to get first place. I'm going to work. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All right. So we work to serve others and to show them God's love. And to be quite blunt, if you do nothing in response to your salvation, it means little or nothing to you. If you're not doing anything about being saved, then your salvation doesn't mean anything to you. I have said this many times. If there is little that is in you, which is like Christ, then you are not a little Christ, which means you're not a Christian because that's what Christian means, little Christ, right? So I need to become more and more like Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times when I'm going to stumble, where I'm going to fall back into old patterns, and I need to pull myself back out of that. I need to cry out to the Lord and so forth. But nonetheless, I need to continue to pursue this, right? Um, all right, verse 10. Therefore, brethren and sistren. Oh, I need to read this from uh, ESV. I'm reading it from NASB. Therefore, brothers... And sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So here's where we have this counterbalance between us confirming that we are believers because we do something about it, 
an election which really comes entirely from God. God chooses who he wants. Now, he's laid out what the conditions are for us, which is to have faith, right? And I believe that he's offered everybody a modicum of faith, a, a basic uh, little mustard seed of faith. People choose to invest that or they choose not to invest that, right? And again, it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of the object of your faith. In other words, it's the size of the God you believe in. That's what matters, not the purported size of your faith, right? So um, be certain you're saved. That's what he's saying. Do something about your faith. Be diligent, all right? That word diligent, that's that Greek word that we already encountered, spude, right? Put some hustle in your faith, man. Get up, get out of bed. Yeah, that's where it starts, by the way. It starts getting up. You got to get up in the morning. You got to get up and get into the word. You say, oh man, I already got to get up too early. Well, then I'm just going to start praying. I think Miss Mary started praying way back, uh, like, like several years ago for me to wake up in the middle of the night and now I can't sleep. So, you know, if you've got little kids, they probably, you know, wake you up. Except for Nicholas's, they don't wake him up. They sleep longer than he does. He's already told me. All right. But a lot of little kids, they wake their parents up. Parents are up and going. What you need to do is start, start your day in the Word. Now, you, you may not be a morning person. Figure it out. Make coffee, right? Uh, do what you need to do. Start out in the Word. Get your head straightened out the right way. Don't turn on talk radio. Don't start your day out with an argument about the latest thing that Trump said. Oh, wow, and he did this, and he did that. You know, or, or you turn it to sports talk radio, you know, and they're all screaming about this player and that player and the other player or Black Lives Matter or whatever. It's like you never get a chance to have peace. You can't focus your mind because the, the, what we surround ourselves with is just spinning us around. It's like starting out your day with, you know, some sort of heavy metal. <laughs> And you're like, you know, okay, okay, okay. And then you wonder why you're so stressed out. You know? Start your day in worship. Start it out the right way. All right? Get into the Word. Like I said, I've told you guys this. If you're not on my list, I send out a Bible passage every day at around 7 o'clock. All you need to do is text uh, the word, the word, the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, to 94000, and you'll get a Bible passage from me, not a verse, you'll get a passage. So we just started reading in James this morning, so you can catch up with us if you're not on there yet by reading James 1, and then tomorrow will be James 2, 3, 4, 5, five chapters in James. Right? So, but I don't always do that. We read all the way through John, but a lot of times I'll send out Psalms. I just, I get up in the morning and I read the Word. I've got three different lectionaries that I'm reading right now. Sometimes I pick a passage from there. Sometimes I think that there, we need to go another direction. I've been thinking that we needed to go through James um, for a while, but I wanted to send you guys out a couple of Psalms that I thought were really, really powerful. And so I did that first. I think after James, if you want to look ahead, I think we're going to do 1 John, right? So, um, but nonetheless, it's an opportunity. Get the, the YouVersion Bible app for your mobile device, okay? Or go to Bible.com on your computer and subscribe to one of their reading plans. They have reading plans that last four days. They have reading plans that last all year, okay? But then, you know, allow that to drive you into the Word on a daily basis 
and pray and ask the Lord to lead you. Ask the Lord to speak to you every single day so that you will have that direction that you need, okay? Um, so if you're worried about stumbling and losing your salvation, there's an offer of security here. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So if I am seeking to be a better person by following Jesus, to add virtue, the, uh, th that word virtue means, means moral excellence, but there's an energy behind it. There's a vitality behind it. And if I'm seeking to add knowledge to that, I'm seeking to add self-control to that and perseverance to that and, and uh, godliness to that and brotherly kindness to that and love to that, right? I've memorized this order because I need to be pursuing these. It's just too easy to just kind of sit back and let your mind go blank and let the world drive you along. And then it's just a matter of where the winds are blowing on that particular day. You know, you got people like, oh, I'm having a good day. Oh, I'm not having a good day. It shouldn't matter. That's circumstantial living. That's living by uh, external happenstance. But if I'm living by the Lord and the word of the Lord, then it doesn't matter what's happening out here. Have you noticed here we are, we're sitting in a church and we're doing church just like we've always done church. There are churches driven by fear right now that still haven't started meeting yet. That's sad. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody or, or make anybody feel bad. I just, that just makes me sad. When they said we could open the doors, we opened the doors. We're here. And I told everybody, you're responsible for your health and safety. And then we're, you know, we're going to do our best to help you. All right, you got to pay attention to the Lord, but it's like you have to do something about this. So I have a, a prayer calendar out there on top of the microwave, and I flip it to a new um, uh, pastor and pastor's family every week, and these are pastors of church starts uh, in this country. Now, I remember what it was like and how hard it was to start this church. In fact, we've stayed... Uh, a small church ministering to people that are not super churchy people. And so, you know, we've never had a lot of money. And this is a wonderful building, and we've been in it since mid-2007, but it's not our building, right? So there's not that security. The security is in the Lord. But I know how difficult it is for these guys that are out there. And they had the bottom drop out in March. We need to be praying for these churches, this is a test right now, and not everybody's passing the test, right? So we need to, we need to be praying for the, these folks. Um, if I'm worried about stumbling, I need to practice these character qualities. I need to be working toward improving myself. And that would start with just memorizing what I need to be doing. You know what? I need to start following Jesus. I need to be a better person. Instead of justifying your life by saying, well, I am a good person increase, improve. I need to increase my knowledge, improve my knowledge. So you're here. That's great. You're a Bible study. That's what you need to be doing. Then I need to add self-control to that. That's my daily struggle, to be quite honest with you. I mean, and you know, I, I'm going to get into this. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but I watched a movie a couple of days ago. It's based on a book that came out several years ago that was very popular. And the central idea of the book unsupported by a relationship with Christ is will take you nowhere. But without giving it away, I want to say that it centers on the idea of what you expect. Did you see my sign out there? Right? 
my sandwich sign that I, I put out there. It gives a, a kind of a new subject for every week. So we're in this series on Sunday morning. Um, the end is near, right? And my, my, my phrase for this week, my title for this week is, what do you expect? What you expect really, really matters. It sets how you live your life. My expectations need to be based on God's word and the hope that it supplies. That doesn't have anything to do with who gets in office. That doesn't have anything to do with whether we're wearing masks or not wearing masks. That doesn't have anything to do with, you know, shutdowns or not shutdowns. I'm going to be pursuing a God that is above and beyond all of this. And that's going to give me the hope that I need to have these positive expectations. I think that that's really, really important, right? So I'm going to continue to practice these things, and then I'll know that I'm never going to stumble. Verse 11, for in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, again, this can sound, see, we go back and forth. If you, if you read this in certain ways, it can sound like at one point, well, this is the elect, so we don't do anything. Then it can sound like, well, wait a minute, but then we are working for our salvation. But it's not that case at all. Hopefully you're understanding what I'm trying to get across to you is that when you're saved and when you have this relationship with Christ, it creates this energy in you, this outworking of God's moral life right it creates a virtue in you that you begin to work out and that's your nature now so it's not something that you are going to supply alone no god has already supplied it for you listen jesus uh the entrance to the kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ will be abundantly supplied so in other words guys you're not just going to squeak into heaven oh well i don't know i guess I'll just kind of barely make it. We'll be like that passage where the Apostle Paul talks about uh, those that will uh, have all this work that they've done here on earth and it will burn up because they built with wood, hay, and stubble. He said, but if you're building with gold and silver and precious stones, what does fire do to a diamond? Not a diamond does absolutely nothing to a diamond. Like literally nothing. What does fire do to gold? Purifies it. What does fire do to silver? If I'm building with those, then when the fire comes, could be the COVID fire, could be the protest screaming fire, could be the, you know, who knows what it'll be next. It's just going to test me and purify me and make me shine like gold. Amen? That's what the, that's what the Lord has for you. Okay? Verse 12. And that, that way I can know that I'm headed for heaven and I'm not just going to barely squeak in. I am, I'm, that, that entrance is going to be abundantly supplied. Verse 12, therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I keep reading from New American Standard. Let me go back and because that was what I was teaching from in these notes. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's not saying, I'm teaching you guys something new. He's affirming and confirming what they already know. You guys need that all the time. I need that all the time. I'm reading these lectionaries. I'm on 
probably the maybe the fifth year that I've been reading through the Book of Common Prayers daily readings lectionary. Um, and I, it just goes back and forth. Uh, it has year one and year two, and it just goes back and forth, and it has the same passages every year. And I haven't failed to get an amazing amount out of them yet. I, you know, it's, there are certain books that are like that, but the Bible is definitely like that. You know, I've talked to people about reading the Bible, and oh, I read that once. Oh, I think maybe you don't understand what the Bible is for, right? There's another book. This is not the Bible, but this is a, this is a devotional book that you can read on a regular basis and get something out of. Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. I recommend it highly. Take another level up, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. These are books that you can read and reread and reread and reread and constantly get something out of them because there's such depth that's there, right? And such breadth as well. So he says, I'm going to remind you, even though you have already been uh, exposed to these things. So Peter's not attempting to teach the original recipients of this letter something new. He does not want his readers to forget the important lessons that they've learned as students of Jesus, even though they may already know these things we may already know these things. We must, not be, we must not presume that recognition or comprehension of the facts is, same, is the same as realization. Now, I read that from my notes, so maybe it was too dense to, to realize. Teachers learn um, when, they're, when they're learning how to teach. They learn what is known as Bloom's Taxonomy of Learning. You remember that? Yeah. Right? Because then... They have to teach in accordance with this, essentially, it's usually given uh, or taught as a pyramid, right? So on the very bottom of this pyramid is recognition. Do you recognize that you heard that before? That's a multiple choice test. Now I would assume that that's, uh, you know, Sue taught math for years and Sue taught teachers to teach math. But I would assume that's virtually impossible in a math class. You just don't do multiple choice tests. There's got to be a level of comprehension there that causes you to be able to work through the problems or you haven't understood it. But the thing is, with a lot of subjects, when it concerns, you know, facts and memorizing facts or places, like you take a geography class, right? Then you could give a multiple choice test. Now, I had a teacher in college. His name was Dr. Riley. Still remember his name. He was my political science professor. <laughs> Poli Sci, 1306, right? So I'm in this class. I got in trouble with one of my papers because he was more liberal than me. But uh, nonetheless, he still respected me. Um, but he gave multiple choice tests that were the hardest multiple choice tests I've ever taken because they tested more than recognition because... I've heard teachers call multiple choice tests multiple guess. Have you heard that? Well, I'm passing out the multiple guess. Because, you know, you're going to pick one out of five. Usually there's five answers. You know, like the last answer is like none of the above or something like that. No, Dr. Riley's multiple choice were ridiculous. You had A, B, C, A and B, A and C, B and C. You're just like, okay, wait a minute. All right. None of the above, all of the above. So now you really, even though it's a multiple choice test and he could grade it on a Scantron, you're still having to think through this. There has to be a level of comprehension. So that's, it moves up. 
there's this level of comprehension. Well, as you move up Bloom's taxonomy, you start getting into evaluation and you get into judgment. So now you have pulled these facts so deeply into your own thinking that you're able to evaluate them, you're able to make judgments. This is what needs to happen when it concerns the word of God. It can't be, oh yeah, I remember reading that verse one time. I need to have brought it into my body and I need to have digested it, right? What if every time you ate, you just chewed the food and then spit it out? I mean, you'll, you'll get a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, blood sugar that will come in because believe it or not, um, anything that has especially carbohydrates in it, as soon as it gets in your mouth, your mucous membranes automatically start actually pulling uh, that into your bloodstream and it converts it just like that to blood sugar. That's how fast your body can do that, okay? But I'm never gonna grow, I'm never gonna get stronger if I don't chew it up and swallow it and let my body digest it and work it through. That's the word of God. Right? So the word medication, medication, meditation, <laughs> the word medication means what I need tonight. The word meditation means that you chew on that. You swallow it. You digest it. Right? So have you ever, have you ever had a really, really good meal and you're just savoring it? You're just taking a bite and you're like, oh, man, hmm. I'm going to chew that a few extra times. I'm enjoying that flavor. Then I'm swallowing that. That's what you and I need to be doing with the word of God, right? We can't just presume that because we recognize some Bible passage that we were exposed to when we were in Sunday school or in you know a Bible study class when we were a teenager or an adult means that we have comprehended it, much less fully realized it. That's what we're talking about here is realization. So once again, verse 12, New American Standard, therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. The word know, Greek word is oida, and it means to comprehend the meaning of something with focus upon the resulting knowledge, to understand, to comprehend. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Knowledge means that I've learned about something. Wisdom means I understand and realize the how and why of it with the implication that I will act in accord with, what, with that knowledge. I will act in response to or in accordance with that knowledge. Wisdom may require me to wrestle with my emotional response to knowledge and have the courage to act in opposition to how I feel. You need an example. Here it is. I read research that says periodic fasting is healthy. That's knowledge. Oh yeah, that's, I read that. Now I may agree, I may disagree, but no, I read that, that's knowledge. Periodic fasting is healthy. They didn't used to think so. You think religious people were nuts. Fasting, what are you talking about fasting? That's ridiculous. You can't, you need to eat every three hours. So we're just like, the, we're the snacking culture. <laughs> Come to find out, Jesus was wise after all. Fasting is actually healthy for you, right? 
So now there's a lot of people that are doing what is called intermittent fasting. I mean, you don't just fast all day, every day. You got to have food, okay? But you, you choose a period of time, 12 to 13 hours minimum, up to 24 hours maximum, that you fast. And your body goes into this healing mode where basically your cells start taking out the garbage. It's called autophagy. They start eating themselves, but they start eating the bad proteins that are in there that never happened before when you didn't fast, okay? But see, I can know that, but fasting is really a pain. It's no fun. And it's just like running. I know running is healthy too, and I hate it. But you know what? I fast and I run. I stopped running for a while. I was running up until May. I stopped running for a while. I've started back up again, even though I despise it. Why? Because wisdom is looking at that practice and saying, I need to improve my cardiovascular. Now, if you can't run, walk. Briskly walk until you get a, just a light sweat going, right? In fact, those that talk about running will tell you that in order to run for fitness, you shouldn't run so hard that you couldn't talk to somebody running next to you. That's going to tell you how fast your breathing is. If you'll slow down to that level and meet yourself where you are and move forward, you can do all sorts of things, okay? So, um, wisdom comes in the realization that I should practice fasting and helps me understand the appropriate timing. Uh, Solomon wrote, there is a time and a purpose or a time and a season to everything under heaven. There's a time for feasting and a time for fasting. Many people will fail or refuse to admit the latter because it seems even painful to fast. However, in the end, this discipline may yield the peaceful fruits of righteousness when properly practiced. So there's a good example of knowledge versus wisdom, right? And he says, you're established in these things. Um, this means to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief. My goodness, I can just tell you, I've been in ministry for, I don't know, well, it depends on when you want to say I started in ministry. If you want to start, say I started with volunteer ministry, then I've been in ministry for coming up on 40 years, right? Uh, you want to talk about paid ministry, then I've been in ministry for 32 years, right? Um, and I have seen countless people. Now, I was in youth ministry for quite a few years, so you can imagine how this would be the case. But I, I, I've seen people that are just enthusiastic about their faith. Jesus! Yay! Jesus! Let's go to a conference! Yay! Okay? I want to buy a new Bible. And, and then, suddenly, their feelings change. Something happened. All right? It could be any number of things that happened, but something happened. Their feelings changed. Well, since their faith was basically just in their feelings and not in the word, then they changed. They were never established. Peter is affirming that these people are actually established. And how do you know? Well, people may drift, but it's a matter of what happens after time. You see, you're always going to come back to what you really are. You can't fake it forever. You're going to default to what and who you really are. If you're firmly established, then you're going to come back to that established faith again and again. 
the truth which is present in you. Um, in uh, Vincent's word studies, he writes that this could be in the present truth. That is the truth which is present with you through the instruction of your teachers, not the truth at present under consideration. So there is truth present in you. Some of it has been planted in you as the result of you coming to this church for months or for years. Some of it has been planted in you by parents or grandparents. Some of it has been planted in you through the ministry of other preachers and other teachers. It's been planted in you. It's in you. That's what you're established in or not established in, right? Uh, other translations, you are firmly established in the truth you now have. That's NIV, ESV, ESV and are established in the truth that you have. All right, verse 13. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Well, the earthly dwelling is your body, your physical body, right? And the word that is used here is literally tabernacle. That's a tent. That's a big tent. Some of us are like, I got a bigger tent. Yeah, I got a big tent. No, it's really bigger in the sense of more glorious, right? I don't know how you think of yourself. It is possible to have too high of an opinion of yourself. But it is also possible to fail to see how glorious the Lord created you to be. How glorious you really are when you fulfill the purpose that he has for you, when you pursue the call that he has for you. Um, I've always thought this was really, really amazing so there's a, there is a, an incident that took place in Jesus' ministry where he landed on uh, the Gentile side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. There was a, a region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities region. And it was largely Gentile. And Jesus landed right between a graveyard and a pig farm basically, or a pig ranch, I guess maybe you would call it, where they tended pigs, whatever that is, okay? And he encountered a demoniac. You know what a demoniac is? This is a dude that's full of demons. Terrifying incident, by the way. The guy immediately runs at Jesus and falls down at his feet. You see, Jesus is powerful. Jesus' name is powerful. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of demons. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You can't be owned by the devil if you're owned by the Spirit of God. That's nonsense. People talking about Christians being possessed, then you're not a Christian. A Christian is possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can be as influenced as you allow yourself to be. You can allow your thinking to go really bad. But this guy was possessed. He was infested. Why am I bringing this up in, in relation to this idea of a tabernacle? Listen to what he said. Jesus asked him his name. He wasn't asking the guy because it was the demons that were talking to Jesus. Right? I won't, I won't do my demon voice because I don't want to be creepy. All right. <laughs> but the, it wasn't one demon. He said, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus said, this is how you gain power over somebody. If you've ever taught a classroom full of students, you know that this is true. You need their name. When I would come as a substitute teacher, and I've been a substitute 
all over the place. I substituted for, I substituted long enough that if I had been teaching, I'd be collecting a retirement check right now. But these kids always want to sit in different seats and they don't want to tell you their name. Because as soon as you have their name, you have power over them, you have accountability. Jesus looked at this demoniac and addressed the demon and said, what is your name? You know what he said? Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion was between six and 10,000 soldiers. That's a lot of demons in one human being. I'm wondering, I mean, I may think that I've gotten a little chunky right now, but I don't think, you know, I can imagine 10,000 demons fitting into my body. You need to understand that your tabernacle is more than what you look at in the mirror. There's something about you. There's a broadness. There's a comprehensiveness to your soul that extends out into the world. You're bigger than you think you are. You're more important than you think you are because Jesus died to prove it. So here's a man that said, you know, maybe the demon was lying. Maybe there was only a thousand demons in him. Oh, okay. Gosh. Right? So this tabernacle, right, is, is something that is broad and it is potentially glorious. So um, Peter says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, this earthly tabernacle, to stir you up by way of reminder. It's the prerogative of the pastor and the teacher to keep the truth at the forefront of his students' minds. Indeed, it is our responsibility to do that. Teachers will incur a stricter judgment. The watchman is responsible to warn those in the city. Again, I keep picking on Sue because she's a math teacher and she's a teacher. Um, but every year, I remember when I was in math classes, I had to be reminded of what I had learned the previous year because we were always building on previous knowledge. So they had to go back and remind us of this and then add to it. And then the next year, go back and remind us of this and a little bit of review of this and then add to it, right? So this is what happens in my karate class. I am constantly going over the same things with these kids. And if they practice, then I add to it. If they don't, we just keep going over the same things again and again and again, right? And of course they get bored and I try to keep them from getting bored. But I can't, I can't help them to go any further if they're not practicing. We, see, it's difficult for them because we're only in here for 45 minutes once a week. And I can't work on everything every week. So sometimes they're only exposed to something that they need to know maybe once a month. And they haven't practiced at home, so they kind of forgot it, Right? But I have to keep reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it. And this is what the Lord is doing with you. I think you'll find that when the Lord speaks to you, he speaks in themes. He's going to speak to you in themes. And you're going to find that he's going to address you on a particular topic or a particular theme. And you're going to see it again and again and again and again and again and again. Oh, man, yeah. There it is again. The Lord's saying, Wake up, time to learn. I'm reinforcing it. And we're, we reinforce what we practice. Verse 14, knowing that the, laying of, <clears throat> that the laying aside, you know what, I keep telling you, I'm gonna read this in ESV. Since I know that the putting off of my body will, soon, will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, right? So Peter's ready to die. And Jesus indicated that one day Peter would be martyred. 
So um, if we look at uh, Jesus addressing Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection in John 21, Jesus restores Peter. And then Peter goes walking off with Jesus, John following at a distance. And Jesus tells Peter, basically, when you were younger, you used to, you know, get dressed and, you know, somebody would dress you and take you here. When you got older, you went where you wanted to go. When you're younger, your parents uh, led you. When you're older, you get to make your own choices. He said, but there's going to come a day when someone is going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. And that was a prophecy of Peter's martyrdom. And again, I'll repeat this to you. Um, Church tradition has it that Peter was crucified in Rome under Nero. Paul was beheaded. Paul was beheaded because that was the quick way to to execute someone. And if they were a Roman citizen, they were given that privilege. That sounds like a horrible thing, you know, but it's a pretty instant death. Crucifixion is not, obviously. When Peter was crucified, church tradition says that Peter said, I am not worthy to die the way my Lord, in the same way as my Lord. So the cynical Roman soldiers crucified him upside down. Right? So Peter knew that his days were numbered. Verse 15, and this is where we'll conclude this evening. And I... And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. I'm sorry, back to ESV. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, that's after his death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So this is why at the beginning of this letter, um, I indicated, and this wasn't my idea, this is reading the word biblical commentary uh, by Richard Baucom, who stated that this is kind of like Peter's last testament, right? It's, it's his last address. It's what he wants us to know. Well, if this is the number one apostle, the one that Jesus chose, it's probably important for us to pay attention, right? And this has been preserved for us. So I hope you'll keep coming. I hope you keep paying attention. This is a very short letter, by the way. It's only three chapters. So you can read through it again and again and just really let the Lord speak to you. And, let, and believe it or not, you're going to see, uh, starting next week, I mean, I taught on, on false Christs. I focused on the political side of things and, and you know, with that email that I, I addressed to you because I think a lot of people on both sides are misusing Jesus, right? That's the false Christ is misrepresenting Jesus. That's what I talked about. But you're going to see in this very letter that we're studying that Peter is addressing the problem with false teachers. So again, there are themes, right, that the Lord is addressing. It's not an accident that we're here and there. I didn't cause these two to coincide. I mean, I could have, maybe if I was wiser, if I planned even better, but I just pray about what I believe the Lord wants me to do and where he wants me to go. Believe it or not, I was going to go into James. I was going to teach James next, but here we are in Second Peter, and it coincides with what we're teaching on Sunday morning. I know you're excited about Jesus too, huh, buddy? (laughs) All right. God bless you guys. I appreciate you.